We are in this middle of this series now on um, the three G's, grace, gratitude, and generosity. And today we continue this section on grace. And let me say, we're getting into some theology here. I realize that. Um, we kind of geek out on it a little bit and enjoy it. Uh, I know for some of you it may be a little laborious, but here's why. This theology, if it's just ideas, that's one thing. But boy, theology can really make a difference in your life. And that's our hope, that we just don't grab a hold of these ideas and these truths and these promises of the gospel, but that they will uh, enter into your lives, that you'll embrace them. And I believe true transformation, freedom, joy, uh, new life can come through this theology. So um, let me pray and then we'll jump back right in. God, we pray that you would speak to us today a very clear word uh, from your word and through the meditations of my heart. Lord, we know that uh, your word to us is not just another book, but that it can transform us and bring uh, freedom in our lives and healing and growth. So we pray that uh, this would just not be information today, but transformation. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, you know, at the beginning, uh, back in, on September 12th, we talked about the theme for this year is kind of, will you grow? Uh, will you take steps in faith to grow? And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, just to ponder for a few moments. And that, the question is this. Is there something in your life uh, that... You could do, or a step you could take, or uh, getting rid of an old habit that you've been trying to get rid of that could make your life more acceptable, more pleasing to God. Is there one thing, you know, a bad habit that you've been trying to get rid of? Uh, maybe, maybe uh, spending more time in prayer, in your own devotional life. Uh, maybe. Attendance at worship has been a little spotty. Maybe you're not reading the messenger. <laughs> I don't know where that, that's all new today. That's just, maybe, here's a good one. Maybe it would mean giving a larger percentage of your income to the, to the church. That's a good one. Think about it. What is just one thing? Step you could take, do something, not do something to make you more acceptable, more pleasing to God. You got it? Okay, let's go ahead and share those right now. No, I'm kidding. If you have something in your head right now, I got you. And you have just fallen into the greatest heresy the church has ever known. Something that steals life and joy and freedom that we have in Christ. And that is this thing called legalism. That somehow we can do something or not do something that can make us more acceptable, more pleasing to God, or make God love us more. That's a heresy. You can't do anything to make God love you more. You can't do anything to make yourself more acceptable to God. 
or more pleasing to God once you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. This heresy has been the greatest heresy that the church has known in its 2,000 years of existence. Basically, legalism says, you know what? If I do this or I don't do that, I am more pleasing to God, more acceptable to God. Instead of living in the freedom of grace that we've talked about over these last few weeks, we revert to a religion of performance that we have to somehow perform for God, which is exactly what the Pharisees and religious leaders in our parable last week, that's how they lived their life. Boy, let me tell you, don't let anyone, any pastor, me, Don, Scott, any, anybody else ever lay legalism on you because it steals your freedom, it steals your, your joy of the gospel. But it's easy to get sucked into it. And I know, because one of the reasons I'm so passionate about grace is I lived under legalism for a number of years in my Christian life. And let me tell you, it stinks. It's horrible. It steals your joy. There's no life. There's no freedom. If anyone ever tries to get you into that, or if you struggle with that, boy, memorize our verses for today. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works or performance. So no one can boast. No one can get a big head about how spiritual they are and how well they're doing. This was a threat from the very beginning of the church. And it's amazing that so much of the New Testament, if you read through it, both the Gospels, Jesus met this head on over and over and over again with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The only people he really went to task with were these hyper-spiritual people that thought they had it all together. So you see it in the Gospels. You see it all through Paul's letters. Oh, you see it in Romans. You see it in Philippians, Colossians. I mean, you name it. It is one of the primary themes of the New Testament. In fact, I would say probably is more is devoted to this in, in the New Testament, this idea of living by works or performance as opposed to grace and faith than, in, than any other topic. A lot of different examples of this. Uh, Galatians is all about this. It's the primary theme of the book of Galatians. And there's a story in there about how Paul the apostle met this head on. You know, interesting that God used Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, devoted his life to living by the religious law and kept it probably better than anyone else 
prior to becoming a Christian and getting knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus. Interesting that God used Paul to teach this gospel of grace. Isn't that interesting? One of the most learned men of his time, trained by the greatest rabbi of the time. He knew what it was like to live under the law, and he writes about it, versus living under the freedom of grace. And there's this great situation in uh, Galatians chapter 2 where Paul meets this head on. You know, the church is just starting to find its way, trying to figure out who are we as a church. And remember that the church joined the two groups that were at war with each other, the Jews, who were all about keeping the law, and the Greeks or the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who had no idea about it. And the Jews despised the Greeks. This is what we saw last week. They wouldn't even have a meal with them. Because they were what? They were sinners. They didn't keep the law. And yet, God brings together these two groups of people to form the church. This new community of love. And they're trying to figure out, how does this work? How do we combine the Jews and the Greeks, the old laws, and now grace through the death, resurrection, and life of Jesus Christ? How does that all work out? And Paul is one of the major teachers of the gospel of grace. And he won't budge on it. So there's this situation in, in the book of Galatians that Paul writes about where they're having a, pot, a church potluck. <laughs> One of the first church potlucks. And Jews and Greeks are sitting right next to each other, sharing meals with each other. Remember, that's a sign of acceptance and love. And the barriers are just falling down. Those walls, century-year-old century walls of animosity are breaking down in this beautiful thing called grace. And they're eating together. And all of a sudden, Paul's there, Peter's there, all the heavyweights are there. And all of a sudden, this group walks in who are called the Judaizers. And we saw these guys when we read through the book of Philippians, and I preached on that back in the winter. And the Judaizers are saying, you know, it can't just be grace. That's just too good to be true. We've got to keep some of the old laws. It's too easy, they say. And so they walk into the room, and they talk to Peter, and Peter leaves the Gentiles, reverting back to the old system. And he goes and eats by himself, and all the Jews go over, and again, it's separation. And Paul walks in, and he goes, what's going on? And he challenges Peter, you know, who is, I mean, the church was built upon that rock, is what Jesus said. And the Judaizers are saying, you know, it's just not grace. You've got to have circumcision. Thank God they got rid of that. And you have to have the dietary laws that we used to, ceremonial dietary laws. And Paul said, no. It's grace plus nothing. Absolutely nothing. No laws. It's grace. And he confronts Peter. He says, Peter, what are you doing? Come on, man. 
One minute you say we're all one in Christ and it's good for us Jewish believers to eat with the Greeks, the Gentiles, the sinners. It's okay not to adhere to dietary laws. Then you turn around and, and you say it's not okay to eat with them and you fall under the pressure of the Judaizers. You can't do that. And then he writes this great verse on salvation by grace. Now listen to this. Who we are Jews who we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified, and we'll get into this in a second, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you see what's going on here? Paul is saying, hey, it's grace plus nothing. You can't even have a little bit. And he would not budge. Now, you, you should be thankful for this because, you know, if he hadn't really fought for this, we wouldn't be living by grace. That means that great pulled pork sandwich over at Mulberry's, you wouldn't be able to eat that thing. I love it. But even more than that, wow, you'd always wonder, am I doing enough? You know, I don't think we appreciate, Don and I have been talking about this. Today, you know, in today's culture, we, we, we don't realize what people before us have gone through and how the times have changed. You know, grace is kind of cheap today. And what I've noticed in my years of ministry is that the awareness of sin in our lives has really disappeared. I mean, when you have honest conversations with people, they'll say, oh yeah, I know, I'm a broken person. But for the most part, it's not the same. You know, you go back to prior to the Reformation, Martin Luther, that Catholic monk, you know, used to castigate himself, used to examine himself for hours trying to become pure in the sight of God. Hours and hours spent to it, always being kind of living a torturous life that he could not do enough to please God. Confessed, examined his soul, you know, did everything, indulgences, all the rest. And you know what happened to Luther? He started reading the book of Romans, which is Paul's great treatise, his magnum opus on, on grace in Christian theology. And then he read things like Ephesians that I just read, and he started thinking, wow, you know, I don't think it is by works. I think we've got it all wrong. I think it's by grace that we've been saved. And the Reformation was born. Can you see how people like Paul and Martin Luther would embrace this? For him, it was freedom. All of a sudden, he knew that he was accepted by God just for who he is, by grace, through faith. Freedom. Luther saw it was grace plus nothing. And John Calvin, another great reformer, said this, 
Now listen to this. If you don't hear anything else today, listen to this. If one had to contribute even only a little pebble to one's own salvation, one would live in lifelong fear that one's pebble was just not big enough. Isn't that good? You know what that you know what question that raises is how good is good enough? You know, these these people that say it's you know, Christianity is just about being a good person. I want to say, well, how good is good enough? You know, I can compare myself to Don. I can I can feel at peace. <laughs> but if I compare myself to Steve Main, I come up short, right? Or if I compare myself to the holy God, wow, I'm, I fall way short. How good is good enough? See, this was Luther's problem. I have to be a little bit better. You never have peace with God. You never have assurance that you're okay. I have met people who live in fear of God and what they're doing is not enough. Talk about slavery. That's not God's will for us. wants us to be free and to live in, in gratitude that everything is done. We're justified. You know, there was that word that I said we were going to get back to from Paul in Galatians. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justified is a big theological word. And I like when people say, you know, what it means is just as if I never sinned. Past, present, future, all taken care of. Do you know that that's the gift that you've been given through grace? I mean, you know the prayer confession that we do on Sundays? It's really not necessary for those who have have trusted Christ for their lives. It's for our good to remind us. But God has already forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Do you live like that? Free. Let me read a quote from Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Listen to this. This is good. Justification by grace through faith is the theologian's learned phrase for what G.K. Chesterton once called the furious love of God. I love that. The furious love of God. God is not moody or capricious. God knows no seasons of change. God has a single, relentless stance toward us. He loves us. God is the only God man has ever heard of who loves sinners. False gods, the gods of human manufacturing, despise sinners, but the Father of Jesus loves them all, no matter what they do. But of course, this is almost too incredible for us to accept. Nevertheless, the central affirmation of the Reformation stands. Through no merit of ours, but by his mercy, 
we have been restored to a right relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of his beloved son. This is the good news, the gospel of grace. Boy, let me ask you, are you living by grace or by works? Are you justified by grace or are you trying to justify yourself through good works? You know, as I think about justification today for us, especially in a place like Piedmont, we justify ourselves so often by our achievements, by our degrees on the wall, by how much money we make, how successful we are. It's, we all try to justify ourselves in some way. Sometimes it's religious, sometimes it's otherwise, but we all are trying to do it. And this is a basic difference in how we live life. Do we live life under grace or under our own efforts? Huge. It's the foundation of real freedom in life is knowing we are loved and accepted just for who we are. Now let me just ask you a couple questions to make you think about this. Do you, do you feel like you never quite measure up no matter what you do? Do you have guilt and shame in your life? Do you live by oughts and shoulds? Do you ever question whether God really loves you? Do you live in fear of God or do you enjoy God? These are good questions to ask, to see, you know, how, are, how do you really live life? And especially the Christian life. Because it's difficult to embrace grace when we have sayings like, you know, there's no free lunch. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And all these other things, totally counter to grace. Our world is counter to grace. And yet, we have this gift that's completely free. And all we have to do is accept it and enjoy it. Unmerited favor toward the undeserved. Let me close with a story, because I think sometimes stories help us remember things and see things better. You know, a couple summers ago, not a couple, a number of summers ago, I had this experience of flying to Hawaii, and I thought, wow, this is grace, light grace. You know, my family and I uh, went on vacation. At that time, it was just my wife and my son and myself before our daughter was born, and a friend of ours went with us. Now, you got to know, we always, if you've worked with me, you realize I always am like a minute or two late. (laughs) And our friend who went with us is like an hour early, always. And so he was going with us. He came to our house. This is when we lived in Burlingame. Uh, parked the car there, and then we were going to SFO. And we were running a little late. I could tell he was getting a little nervous. I said, relax, Tim, you know, it's seven minutes from our front door to the United Terminal. Well, we ended up being more than a few minutes late. And we got there, and the the terminal was just packed around the, the desk. And so I went up to the desk, and I said, you know, it, we're 
the Shibsteads and uh, my friend Tim and uh, want to check in. She goes, you know, I'm sorry, but you're, you're too late. The flight is packed and we gave your seats away. I didn't look at my friend. <laughs> but then she said, you know what, let, let me see what I can do. And she kind of went off, you know, behind the curtain and came back. And she said, you know, I have some great news. Mr. Shipstead, we have some room in connoisseur class. So we'll move you up free of charge. I looked at my friend then. <laughs> tried to be as gracious as I could, but... Uh, wow, you have to appreciate this scene. I mean, we're the coach family. Some of you fly connoisseur or first class all the time. That's not our experience. It was like a whole new world. You know, flying to Hawaii is fun anyways, right? Everybody's in a good mood. You're going to paradise. The flight attendants are happy. The, the passengers are happy. The crew is happy. Everybody's happy. But boy, when you go on connoisseur class, it's a whole new world, isn't it? I mean, there was room for my son to play with his trucks. There were before dinner drinks, after dinner, dinner drinks. The, the seats were like this wide. Filet mignon, I'm not kidding. Filet mignon for dinner, tablecloths, real silverware. Wow. It's a whole new world, and it just got better and better. Warm towels to clean your, your hands. Ah, great movie. Man, as I was sitting there, Kicking back in that great, comfortable chair after this great meal, I thought, wow, this is just like God's grace. I did nothing to deserve this. In fact, I sinned. I made a mistake. I was late. And you're treating me like a full-paying customer. I kept wanting to tell the, you know, the flight attendant, who actually called me Mr. Shibstead and pronounced my name right, I wanted to tell her, you don't understand. I'm, I didn't pay for this. I was late coming to the airport. I don't deserve this. But you know what? That is grace, folks. Totally free. Undeserving. Just this gift. Unmerited favor toward a late arriving customer. Pure mercy. And you know what? Because I didn't deserve it, I enjoyed it even more. More fun. And I had a great deal of fun telling my friend that this was exactly how I planned it. <laughs> Joy. Freedom. I never knew Coach was so miserable. Well... You do know it's miserable, but not quite so much until you fly connoisseur. And just like Paul wrote in Philippians, you know, my former life of keeping the law and being religious, you know what? All those achievements, all those spiritual stars, they are like dog, and I won't use the true word in the Greek, dung, compared to my life now living under grace. Friends, God wants us to live in grace, to fly connoisseur, to sit back and relax and enjoy his goodness, to delight in him, 
to know that we are loved unconditionally. And oftentimes, we stay back in that crazy place called coach. (laughs) I want you to leave today knowing it is grace plus nothing. Absolutely. Great plus nothing. And live in the freedom of the good news, the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen.